Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk about late season soybean insects. But even if you don't raise soybeans on your farm, I would just tell you, we're going to talk about many of the same bugs in soybeans as you may have in whatever crop it is you're raising. And a lot of the control methods are the same as well. Also, if you'd like to give us a call and talk about anything else that's going on in your farm or ask us any questions, we're more than up for that. So just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so with this late-season soybean insects thing, today is July 19th. In our, well, I'll just say, like on our farm, I wouldn't expect our beans to hit senescence. So in other words, when they start to turn yellow, where basically leaf feeding from insects isn't going to be a big deal anymore, that's probably going to be, it's going to be early to mid-September. So we've got almost two months left. What I'm trying to say here is we have a long ways to go. We're just at R3 now in a lot of our fields. And did you know that 75% of your plant's potassium for soybeans is taken up between R3 and R8? 75%? With nitrogen, I think it's 70%. So the point is your plant still has a long ways to go on soybeans to make good yield. And this is why I know you've already been through your bean fields a number of times probably and you're tired of it, and you want to be done. But I'm just trying to say here, don't give up quite yet. There, There is still a lot that can be done to preserve yield. So hopefully you don't have bugs. Hopefully you don't have spider mites. Hopefully you don't have disease issues on your farm. But if you do, we just want you to be prepared. So that's why we're going to talk a little bit today about these late-season soybean insects. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, speaking of insects, got some questions here on potentially a below-ground insect. This one comes from Travis up in North Dakota. He said, been watching your show for a long time, guys. I'm I'm up in North Dakota, and I've got an issue. And in the same section, I've got problems in both wheat and sunflowers. There's no pattern to it. There's no lines. I, I don't think it's a spray thing from last year or this year. I think it might be wireworms. Could they really be that thick that they could take out big areas of my crop? I've had other yes. fields of wheat and sunflowers uh, that are not showing these issues, uh, planted with similar varieties, and we've done the same rotation and so forth. Uh, yes, that could be a problem. I, I, I just say you, you're going to have to dig and see if you can find them and see what you what you see for damage and that kind of thing. So it just requires further investigation and. I mean, we appreciate the pictures, and okay. it's great, and I so see what's going on. But... Talk about insect issues, though. If we've got yeah. insects below ground, you can actually use insecticide in these crops, and you can actually do other things. Like in wheat, well, for sure example, you, you can add Taraxa to the seed treatment. That kills wireworms in addition to your neonic. I wouldn't take the neonic out. I'd leave that because it's a little more broad spectrum, but then add Taraxa in. On sunflowers, you can actually use insecticide in the furrow. So you could yeah, like capture LFR or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, you mm-hmm. could do something like that, and and that that will be great protection against the wireworms. So, you've got a few options for you. But here's the thing: for for a lot of times when we find these problems, it's areas where insecticide hasn't been used for years. Yep, that's right. Or ever, 
And those bugs have had a chance, especially with reduced tillage, which I think is a great idea for many reasons. But but one of the drawbacks is it leaves that home intact for the bugs. So their eggs, uh, they don't get disturbed. The bugs can go completely through their life cycle undisturbed, all those things if you're not using insecticide. So yeah, have to so, get after them. Yeah, so to Darren's point, insecticide use in furrow and or insecticide use in terms of the seed treatment We'll talk to a lot of people, and they're like, oh, it's not important. And then we have disasters. And this is the thing that I always talk to people about is, look, I know that seed treatment or infro insecticide doesn't always pay, but sometimes when it pays, it pays us enough for 20 years' worth of seed treatment or infro insecticide. So it's hard for me to not do it. But, yeah, I, again, I, I mean, we're just speculating here. You haven't sent us any pictures of actual wireworms in the field or anything like that. So just do some more investigation. Let us know what you find out. Hopefully you can identify what the problem is because if you can't figure it out, then that means it could happen again next time because you don't know what to stop, what to change, what to do to prevent it. Okay, thanks for the question. Uh, Brian, get this one from uh, Brandon. And he said, hey, guys, I'm curious what you think about using fungicide on corn after a hail event. I'm in central Minnesota, yield goal around 200 bushels. My corn looked great, uh, but now a bunch of my leaves are ripped, and I'm at the V9, V10 stage. Yeah, I think we just talked about this on the show yesterday with a farmer who had some hail, and I'll give you the same answer that we did yesterday. Is it going to make the plant look better, stand better, harvest easier? almost for sure it will spraying fungicide after a hail event what we can't unfortunately promise you is that it's going to gain enough yield to pay for that treatment i don't know we've had it on our farm before where this exact scenario played out had hail sprayed the fungicide looked dramatically better side by side and we go oh man this is going to be way better and at harvest time it if it was any better it certainly was not enough to pay for the fungicide so i'm not saying don't do it I, I, I would continue to do it. Like on our farm, absolutely. If I get hail, we're spraying afterwards. But just don't always count on yield gain. Also, it's possible that you could get a bunch of bacterial diseases entering in rather than fungal diseases. Well, if that happens, then the fungicide isn't going to help you hardly at all. I mean, sure, if you stop any fungal diseases that might be there, maybe the plant's a little more tolerant to those bacterial diseases that got going. But we don't have any good bacteriocides that are out there. I mean, some people will try a little bit of foliar copper and things like that, and you can certainly do that. But it's it's a different deal than if you get fungicide or if you get a fungus. Fungus, you spray fungicide. Bacteria, there's just there's not a lot you can do. All right, thanks for the question, Brandon, and sorry to hear that you caught that hail. Got plenty of time, though, for that crop to recover before you get to tassel. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Precision crop nutrition pays, and AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucinto fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about late season soybean insects and really we're talking about after the, once you get into the reproductive stages, you've got flowers out there, you've got pods starting to form. It definitely changes what we're looking at because it's not just, well, they're just chewing on some leaves and I'm not super scared of them. Now it's they're chewing on my pods and they might even clip my pods off. This is this is a big, bad deal here. I mean, think about your ears on your corn plants. If you had something that was going to just cut the ears right off and they're just going to fall to the ground, uh, you'd be out there really, really quick doing whatever it took to get them under control. That's what's happening in soybean fields right now with bugs like grasshoppers, for example. But but there are many other bugs that, that are going to try to attack your soybean crop late in the season here. So we're going to talk about soybean insects today. Also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, got Eric Schultz on with us right now with BASF. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. So we're talking about some big, bad insect problems out there in soybean fields. And you know what? When we're dry like this, we see more grasshoppers. And definitely the damage can be a bad deal from other bugs, too, when you aren't getting the rain to help your beans recover. Certainly the beans are they're kind of up against it. Uh, I would say we've had spotty showers, uh, but really it's been spotty storms. So if the beans aren't suffering from moisture and lack of moisture, they're kind of suffering from wind or hail. Uh, there's a lot going on for them. And bugs, uh, some people think they're just a small hammer uh, working against yield, but they can be a big hammer. And you mentioned grasshoppers. Uh, also seeing a little bit of Japanese beetles, spider mites popping up here and there, and then soybean aphid. Got to love soybean aphid. That always seems to uh, show up as well, and we're we're starting to pick up more and more of that uh, where I'm at in southern Minnesota as well. 
Hey, speak about those aphids. We hear a lot about pyrethroid resistance, and you definitely have solutions that don't involve pyrethroids or, or could in a premix or a tank mix situation, too. Talk to us about that. If you're worried about pyrethroid resistance, what can you do on these aphids? Yes, yes. Uh, for soybean aphids in general, uh, much of the area that's impacted by them is also impacted by the pyrethroid resistance. I think it's been nearly seven or eight years now since the first finding of pyrethroid resistance. And so the spreading of that type of population is pretty vast at this point. From BASF, there was the introduction of a new chemistry a few years ago called Safina insecticide. And this is not a pyrethroid. It uh, was and still is a new or newer uh, mode of action insecticide, a 9D, not a 3A pyrethroid, but a 9D mode of action that controls all soybean aphids, those that are pyrethroid resistant and those that are not. And just two years ago, BASF launched a premix insecticide called Renestra, which includes Safina paired with a pyrethroid chemistry. So not only with the Safina component in Renestra are you able to take out any population of soybean aphids, but you're also able to control the broader spectrum of soybean insects like the grasshoppers, the Japanese beetles, uh, other squishy caterpillar-like creatures you might be finding as well. So a couple of options there, Safina or Renestra from BASF. Yeah, there are different chemistries available, and I, I do still talk to farmers that say, man, it seems like everything we got is a pyrethroid, or maybe they're really sad they lost Lors man, but there are some other choices out there. You just have to look around just a little bit, talk to your agronomist about that. There are products like Safina that have been very effective on aphid control and used alone. It's pretty easy and a lot of the beneficials too, which is kind of a nice thing as well. Uh, Eric, what else are you seeing out there? Anything that's surprising this year? Uh, I will say that uh, it's it's fluctuated uh, a lot. We were first concerned about the grasshoppers and spider mites more so when it was hotter and, of course, dry. But recently, comfortable July temperatures have uh, increased the soybean aphid concern, as we've been talking about. Uh, but overall, now with mowing off some road ditches and getting drier and drier again and the temperatures are set to increase, we're going to switch back uh, to grasshoppers, spider mites, and then, of course, the aphids are going to be on top of it. So it's going to be a uh, everything's merging together, I guess you could say, from an insect standpoint. And that's for sure. We strongly encourage you keep scouting your fields, even though I know you're probably getting some sprayer fatigue right now. You've run the sprayer enough this year, but uh, we're, we're here on... Uh, um, the home stretch. We want to make sure we protect these beans the rest of the way. Uh, Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me. You bet. Let's head up to Michigan. we got Phil on with us right now. Let's talk a little about the hail damage comments we made here, too. How you doing, Phil? We're doing pretty good. We got some rain recently, and uh, things are looking a whole lot better than they did a couple weeks ago. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Of course, we need more in our sand. We, uh, sandy soils, we uh, figure an inch a week is uh, pretty much ideal. Yeah, yeah. But that did, very seldom happens. <laughs> now, you wanted to talk a little about the hail. Did you get some hail, or you just kind of more uh, just want, want the knowledge base in case it ever happens again? Well, just a comment on it. Uh, we uh, don't have a lot of hail 
where we are, uh, farther east of us, they do. But uh, you were talking about fungicides don't do anything for bacterial diseases if bacterial diseases get into uh, that hail-damaged uh, corn. And uh, I was going to mention in the apple business, uh, which I am also in, uh, we uh, are constantly worried about hail damage. And uh, hail damage, of course, opens the uh, uh, trees up for uh, bacterial infections. So fire blight is our big bacterial disease uh, issue uh, when we do get hail and other trauma on the, on the trees and on the fruit. And uh, to uh, counteract that, we uh, have a number of products that we use. Uh, streptomycin is one. Uh, Oxytet is another one. Casumin is another one. If it's uh, uh, your uh, bacteria is resistant to Oxytet and uh, strep. And uh, wondering, have you guys done any or heard anything on that? I don't know if those products are labeled for corn. So, and that might be the issue. That is part of the issue. They are not labeled in corn. Um, about the only thing people have been trying, because there are some bacterial diseases in corn that are pretty common, Goss's wilt and bacterial leaf streak, uh, but people have been trying copper over the top, and I mentioned that just briefly. It just it, uh -huh. it hasn't been great, and I have to assume, let's put it this way, for all these big companies, uh, they want to sell stuff that works to people and they try things on all kinds of crops, all kinds of diseases. And I can't imagine that after all these years of all the bacterial diseases in corn, which is the number one acreage crop in the United States, that somebody hasn't been trying some of the products you just mentioned that are labeled in apples. Um, if they, I, I just know this over the years when I've talked to researchers, they have just simply told me, hey, we've tried bactericides many times. We're just not getting much out of that in corn or soybeans for that matter. And typically, bacterial diseases aren't a real big deal unless you get some of these things, like I mentioned, Gauss's wilt, bacterial leaf streak. But you're absolutely right with when that hail comes, it does open the plant up for more disease, and some of those diseases could be bacterial. So, yeah, I, I, I wish we had stuff. That would be great. But at this point, there there just isn't anything that we know of that we could say, oh, yeah, Mr. Farmer, after you get hail, spray this bacteria aside, and you should be in good shape. And you did mention copper. Uh, yep. Our normal first spray with copper uh, with uh, maybe a quarter to a half inch green tip on uh, the leaves is a common practice when sure. using a copper product, and there are a number of them that we use. Yeah. But, uh, so that rang a bell also. You bet. Well, hey, uh, Phil, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it, and hope everything's turning out great for you this year out there. Okay. Thanks for uh, taking my call. You bet. Appreciate it. Lots of things going on in the middle of the growing season, and many of them right now involve scouting. What we're seeing a lot in fields is soybean insects, so we're going to talk about that on today's program. If you've got agronomic questions besides that, or if you want to talk about the soybean insect discussion, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and we'll be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today, talking about late season soybean insects and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Jason Snell on with us right now with Syngenta. How you doing, Jason? We're doing very well. We're in, uh, enjoying some little bit milder weather here, and the uh, crop is making as much as it can out of the limited moisture it's gotten so far up here in the northern part of Minnesota, but um, it still has potential, so we're excited. You know, it is interesting how well stuff does look, and that, that just speaks to the good job that so many farmers are doing out there to, to be able to get by with as little rain as they have. But here's the problem, Jason. We've got pests out there that are starting to try and take that yield away from us, and one I wanted to talk to you about was spider mites. And you mentioned, hey, we haven't had enough rain, and oftentimes what happens, I know it sure does on our farm, when we don't get enough rain, we end up with some mites, and, and this year has been no exception. We've been we've been fighting the mites out there too. What do you what do you see for spider mites? What's a little bit different than than fighting some of the insects in your fields? 
Yeah, the interesting part about spider mites is, that especially in I cover kind of the north half of Minnesota, and I cover some areas into central Minnesota, and the um, threshold for spider mites is is kind of a gray area. But we really haven't seen a lot of economic damage from them from them for many many years. Uh, but recently, in 2021, we did see some, and now it seems like maybe that population has held on a little more quickly or a little more strongly, and and been able to reinfest more quickly this year, where it hasn't been as dry as 21. Um, but in 23 here, we're seeing um, some populations build pretty quickly. Um, and I think an interesting part about scouting for them as well is it's a little bit different. Um, they're very small, so you need either a hand lens and um, a lot of hard examination on some uh, multiple areas of the field. Leaf or field edges are usually the first to be in infested. Um, and another way that I've found it's a little bit quicker is to use a white sheet of paper um, and hold it um, near a soybean plant and kind of shake it and look for black specks on the, that white paper that are moving around. And those would be your spider mites that kind of show up a lot easier against a white background. Yeah, yeah, they sure do. Now, here's the other question, Jason. We, we've got a lot of growers that say, okay, I'm right at that time. I'm full bloom to first flower on soybeans, or I'm right around tassel on corn. I want to get out there and I want to spray a fungicide, and that's awesome. In most cases, that's a, a great thing to do on our farm. I think, I think we sprayed pretty much about every acre with, with fungicide with multiple effective modes of action. But what will mix with it? When you start talking about uh, using a product like Agrimac or, or maybe you're using an insecticide like Warrior or something like that, can, can you mix those right with the fungicides? Are there any watchouts in terms of mixing order or those types of things we should be aware of? Yeah, overall, most of our fungicides um, in our lineup, Miravis Neal and Trivapro, we've had very good luck with our insecticides, uh, Indigo, um, Indigo ZCX now is the newest formulation, um, Warrior and agrimac as well uh, we see probably our biggest benefit with an indigo zcx um, application with fungicide especially in um, broad spectrum disease um, outside of spider mites um, but especially around aphids um, and the mixing has been um, really uh, easy to tank mix in those formulations mixing order has been not not as um, uh, pertinent, you don't have to really dial it in as well, but we tend to like the uh, the non-ionic in there uh, first with your water and then add your fungicide and then the insecticide last. Yeah, lots of things going on in fields and not enough time to make multiple applications for a lot of guys. So they're saying, I want to I mix in everything at once. If you're going to do that on your farm, we don't recommend just putting in insecticide every time and saying, yep, I'm sure there's probably bugs out there. Do the scouting first. Uh, we get some great tips here from Jason Snell on looking for spider mites as well. Hopefully you don't see any of those out in your fields, but uh, thanks for the information, Jason, just in case we do. Thank you. Let's head over to North Carolina. Got Dominic Rizek with us right now with North Carolina. Uh, how you doing, Dominic? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, good, good. I think you said North Carolina. I meant North Carolina State. I don't want to don't want to insult you there, Dominic. Yeah, that that's a it's a big mistake to make. <laughs> well, I think it's funny in our in our state we have uh, South Dakota State University and University of South Dakota and. And uh, back in the day, I guess, a couple of generations back, they called South Dakota State the U. And now it's completely flipped in, in recent generations. So, yeah, you gotta got to know who you're talking to and, and how they refer to their universities. But one thing I would say about North Carolina State, and I have been in research fields there, um, 
you do a great job on the research end. You got a lot of challenges raising crops in North Carolina. You'd think, man, with all the diversity there, well, it should be awesome. We can just manage it with that. But uh, the bugs seem to find the soybean fields. Yeah, that's a great point. They sure do. So which ones are you facing this year in North Carolina? Or which ones would you encourage growers to be really looking closely for? Yeah, in our state, we we have a, a little bit of a unique situation because uh, we're maybe one or two states where 50 to 60% of our acres are almost guaranteed to be sprayed for corn earworm. It's an important pest across the southern U.S., but for us, it just seems to be more of a consistent pest. And so I would encourage growers of all soybeans to focus on, on scouting for corn earworm, but it's almost certainly a guarantee in double crop beans. They seem to line up their generations when those beans are flowering, lay eggs in there, and, and just... Uh, have a time in there. Uh, uh, the, the, the other two insects we need to watch out for are stink bugs, and those can be an issue across the state. They're sporadic when they occur, so I can't predict if it's going to be a big stink bug year or not. And the other one is soybean looper. That's a migratory insect that kind of moves in late season, tends to be more problematic uh, towards our coast in the eastern counties. So those are kind of our big three. All right, so so we got some some different pests there than we are normally facing on our farm. We do see some stink bugs, but not nearly to the degree that that growers do in North Carolina. Uh, there are some different modes of action coming out for insecticides and and products now with combinations of different modes of action, trying to really fill the void left from Laura's man and also to. Uh, give you some more residual those types of things what have you seen out of these other products are there any that you're saying man uh we're we're switching away from pyrethroids moving to to this mode of action or that one for for one of these three problem bugs yeah i hear you on those uh those new combinations and modes of action and whatnot um for corn airworm we do fortunately have a a pretty good arsenal a lot of different uh modes of action we can choose from um one that's not new but has a new registration in soybeans is denim, embamectin uh, benzoate. Uh, that seems to be a really good product for corn earworm. For the stink bugs, unfortunately, we were having to reach to a lot of the old chemistries still. A lot of the broad-spectrum insecticides, uh, organophosphates, and pyrethroids still. And to be honest, we're fortunate we, that we still have those products so that we can use them and that we don't have resistance for stink bugs. So those are the kind of things we have to reach for. And then for the soybean looper, we, we, we have a, a pretty good arsenal of Caterpillar-specific products. So a lot of those premixes aren't necessarily super great fits for us, but they are in combination where we have those Caterpillars and stink bugs present. You know, you mentioned double crop beans, and it got me thinking. In, in our area, sometimes we have soybeans at wildly different growth stages if there was a replant, and, and you had to replant in July, and the first seeding went in in April or early May. But with double crop beans, you, you know you're going to have some different growth stages out there. Where do you see the bugs go? Do they go to the more mature plants? Do they go to the younger plants, or are they equal opportunity destroyers? <laughs> Uh, you know, I haven't really seen the field variability you're describing in beans. Certainly, we see it a lot in, in some of our other field crops like uh, uh, cotton and corn. But to your point, we have such a range of uh, planting dates and maturity groups. And you hit the nail on the head earlier with the diversity in the state. You know, we have folks that are planting group twos behind uh, clary sage, which is a unique crop for the area. You know, or maybe... We have growers planting soybeans in, in March or growers, growers planting soybeans in July. So to your point, there's beans that are kind of all over the map. And we do have to 
if we can treat each field, each maturity group, each planting date individually and just kind of do our best job of spreading the scouting and spraying off if we can. But to be honest, you know, most growers are going to manage things on the farm basis and they just have to kind of split the middle or, or do the best they can to get their equipment around and get the treatments out the, the best they can. Yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of scouting throughout the season, and that sprayer gets a lot of miles on it by the end of the year, but uh, sure glad we have some options to control these tough bugs. So, Dominic, thank you so much. Really appreciate the work you're doing down at North Carolina State, and thanks for being on the show. Pleasure. Soybean loopers, stink bugs, and corn earworms added to the list of all the pests that we're fighting in soybeans. We'll continue to talk about soybean insects coming up right after this. Stay tuned. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, and we're talking about soybean insects. Got our friend Eric Rebeck with FMC on now to discuss this a little bit. Eric, you keep getting pulled back into these insect discussions. Well, that's what happens when you're an entomologist. <laughs> All right. Well, I know. I think one of the last times you were on, we were talking about fungicides a little bit, so you get a little bit of a break from that. But you got some exciting modes of action here and some products that are lasting longer in terms of insecticides. So for the grower that's stuck in the, man, all I know is bifenthrin and uh, maybe I'm using some Mustang Max, a, a second generation pyrethroid, those kinds of things. You got new products to talk about and that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, so in addition to some of those tried and true products like Mustang Max, as you mentioned, um, we do have products like Elevest that do combine that knockdown power of bifenthrin uh, with Renaxapir, chlorantranilopril it's also known by, um, which gives you some long-lasting uh, control, dual modes of action, um, and basically helping with that broad spectrum uh, control that, that re- that's required there. Um, we also have others like Banticore, which um, is great for caterpillar pests and grasshoppers, um, that also has Renaxapir active in it, a, high, a very high loading of that active ingredient, so very low use rates, long-lasting um, protection for your crop. You know, when you think about the, the different bugs that we've got out in fields, it's usually not just one. It's not, well, I only have soybean aphids, and that's it. It's, no, I've got aphids, I've got loopers, I've got green clover worms, I've got grasshoppers. It seems like I talk to grow. it's kind of like weed control, Eric, where it's, well, I don't just have pigweed, I've got this whole spectrum of weeds I'm fighting. That's absolutely true. Um, and again, this is where some of our products are a good fit. Like I mentioned, Elevest already. Um, that controls over 40 pests uh, labeled for both corn and soybean and um, really fits in that kind of wide window of, uh, of activity uh, for many species of these insect pests as they're co-occurring uh, in the field. So anything from aphids to leafhoppers and grasshoppers, um, even two-spotted spider mites where that might be rearing its ugly head uh, given droughty conditions or drier conditions at the, at the very least. Hey, one that we're getting more questions on this year in the north. Now, growers in other parts of the country fight this all the time, but Japanese beetles seem to be having a really strong yeah. year in Nebraska and, and some other states. Tell us about that one just a little bit. What makes that one so tough? Yeah, um, well, that one is that, that's an old nemesis. Um, it's been around a very long time, um, but kind of newer for us up in the north, right, and, and getting further west as it's spreading its uh, – spreading its wings, so to speak, and invading uh, further westward. Um, it's just, it's a notorious, notoriously difficult insect to control, um, but um, it happens, it's only out about six weeks during the year as in that adult form. Um, but those six weeks, it can wreak a lot of havoc by um, destroying foliage, destroy, destroying flowers, um, fruits uh, in, in some crops. It's a, it's a pretty nasty pest. Well, you mentioned six weeks. If you only had six weeks, I, I bet you would be going for it as fast as you can, do as much damage as you can out there. Is it a matter of using the wrong product or using the wrong use rate uh, or just a, a extended emergence? What What's the challenge with that bug? 
Yeah, the, the, I think the biggest challenge really is its mobility. Um, it is a very, very strong flyer. Um, so, you know, the, the products that we have, um, you know, FMC products and others that are out on the market, um, contact insecticides can work um, at the proper use rates and proper timing. But, again, that six-week window is tough. But the issue is you control what's there one day, and um, if you don't have residual control going on in that field with, with the product that you chose, uh, you can still get uh, later invaders coming in kind of in waves um, as they're kind of moving through and, and uh, trying to find a food source. All right. What's your number one recommendation for this pest, for Japanese beetles? What, what is something that's got enough residual to, to help you and maybe get you through that six-week window? I would go with uh, um, an FMC product called Hero. Um, that offers a, a one-two punch with uh, with two at, with two active ingredients. Both of them are, are uh, second-generation pyrethroids, the bifenthrin and that zeta cypermethrin that's in Mustang Max. Um, so again, it's going to um, you know you get the the, the powerful uh, that knockdown quality, um, a little bit of, of long-lasting control from those products on something like Japanese beetle that's going to manage those waves as they come into the crop. Well, there are a lot of different pests out there. We kind of spend a little time here on Japanese beetles, but Eric was uh, right in mentioning several others here too, between aphids and grasshoppers and clover worms and so forth. Uh, Eric, thanks for the work that you're doing. Uh, thanks for helping us out today talking about soybean insects. Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing you next week. You bet. That's coming up uh, Thursday, July 27th, the Ag PhD Field Day. we got a number of questions that have come in around that, too. Uh, I direct you to agphd.com. You can find all the event details there. And we strongly recommend you pre-register. It'll get you through and get you into the show a lot faster. All right, Brian, soybean insects here. Anything that we missed that, that you wanted to talk about? Well, anything that we missed, there are a million other insects Probably not quite a million, but anyway, yeah, we haven't talked about everything, but I would just say the big key here is scout your fields on a regular basis and don't give up too early. We see this all the time where it gets to this point in the year, beans start getting big here in the next week or two, and you go, yeah, I think I'm good. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you got to keep scouting, even all the way to harvest, because what can happen sometimes, we have seen this before, where, for example, bean leaf beetles will start clipping pods late in the year, and it's after you would normally think, oh, I'm going to have a big issue. Uh, we might see grasshoppers move in. We have severe drought in some areas, and grasshoppers need to eat a lot when they get big, well, if they don't have green growth other places, they might move into your soybean field quickly. We just never know what's going to pop up. And I, I just I, I just can't stress this enough. Please, please, please keep scouting your bean fields all the way till the end. And, hey, if nothing shows up, that's great. But this way, at least you're prepared because... I know that the soybean price may not be as good as what it was last year, but who knows how it might turn out. It might be even better than last year by the time the whole thing's said and done. But either way, if you're looking for a fairly decent bean crop, you got pretty good prices yet, there's a lot of dollars at stake. Just think about how many thousands of dollars you have in each field. You don't want to lose that to bugs, especially when some of these treatments are as effective as they are 
and as inexpensive as they are. So also, I would say make sure that you're paying attention to the pre-harvest interval if it does start to get real late. So some of the products you might have to have on 30 or 60 days in advance, and other products might be a week or two. Um, beyond that, I, I'd just say you can add up a variety of different harmful bug populations out there rather than saying, well, I have to hit threshold of aphids, or I have to hit threshold of grasshopper individually, or I have to hit threshold of bean leaf beetles. No, you don't. If, let's say, I'm a third of the way there for each of three pests, um, I'm adding up a third, a third, and a third. That equals one. I'm there. Also, don't look at research done 20, 30, 40 years ago and old thresholds and say, well, they said the threshold was this, and so I'm not going to spray until I get that much. Um, no. Today, insecticides are much less expensive than they used to be in some cases, or in many cases. Uh, and then we look at the value of the crop, the crop prices. And again, I, I understand the soybean price today might not be as good as last year, for whatever you sold it for but let's look historically it's great historically and our yields are great historically and some of these new insecticides are way better than the older insecticides and can last longer so by the time you look at all those factors you can't look at old thresholds and say well that's just it is what it is no it's not an economic threshold changes based on economics so just make sure you're looking at that so the soybean aphid thing is one that absolutely drives me insane where people continue to talk about 250 aphids. Uh, yeah, that's a 2006 threshold. That is not a 2023 threshold. So look at your price, look at the value you can gain, and it, it just go from there. So I, I just say make sure you're looking at modern economics. Well, stay tuned. We're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more 
And be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 2,4-D applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and we're taking your calls and questions and your emails right now throughout the rest of the show. It's during the Ag PhD mailbag time. We'll dive back in the mailbag here. Brian, I just passed you some pictures. This comes from Brendan, uh, and I apologize, Brendan. I think this made it to the bottom of the pile here of our, our emails we're trying to get through, so we might be a little slow on this, but... Uh, he said, I'm sending you guys pictures of my beans. I'm wondering what's going on. We had some hard, fast rains this year. Had some iron deficiency chlorosis in this field. Uh, we did the three pre's. This field's been a mess. We've had problems with weeds. And then we did an early post with dicamba and glyphosate. Uh, we did go in about a week ago again as we had some more weeds, added some Miravis Neo and some Radiate to try to spark them up a bit and maybe deal with what's on leaves. So those products are fungicide, multiple mode of action fungicide, and a plant growth regulator. Um, just wondering if that's what's going on on these leaves or if there's something else. Uh, might try a little more fungicide later on. It looks like it, some burn, doesn't it, Brian? It just looks well, like some burn from one of the applications or a splash up maybe on the lower leaves. Yeah, something, because it, it is lowest leaves. So when the new growth looks great, then I usually am not super worried in beans a lot of times. And it's it's really hard to tell. We got, I got three pictures here. All are different. Um, yeah, it, 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 it could be that. It's just it's hard to know. You can see there is some yellowing on some of the leaves so he said iron deficiency chlorosis does look a little bit like iron deficiency chlorosis in a in at least one of these pictures that and certainly not bad but that's that could be a part of it you know it's it's not often where there's only one thing where you go oh you've got frog eye leaf spot and that's the only thing wrong in your entire field so it's kind of like he said hey we had some iron deficiency chlorosis now they've sprayed some fungicides they're kind of counting on um, having some disease control there. I, I saw one of these stems too, Darren, and it, 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 you can't really tell by the picture. Is it just dirt? Because I know on, on some of our leaves, when we were out looking at bean fields last week, uh, we had dirt on a bunch of plants. And now from a little distance, it looked like it was uh, maybe a disease thing or sun scald or something else. And then you go look at the leaf closer and then you rub it off and it's like, oh, that's just dirt. But there are spots on one of these stems well is that i mean is that some kind of disease i 
it's it's just it's hard to tell here so I, I mean overall I would say these beans do not look bad and if you've got fungicide on there you've done what you can there but moving forward that iron deficiency chlorosis thing the more that you can address your soils and try to get those in balance for nutrients get the pH down that's gonna help you IDC or iron deficiency chlorosis is also worse when your nitrates are high carbonates bicarbonates that kind of stuff so that's where drainage really makes a difference too. We want to make sure that we're we have as good a drainage as possible and then sometimes the salts can flush away in addition to excess nitrogen and things like that. All right, thanks for the question. Uh Brent noticed a, a headline out there that talked about lower populations in soybeans leading to less incidence of disease and the farmer that was featured in the article to him, low population was 130 to 140,000. So yeah, and I like 130 to 140. And I, I, I saw this, and I, I said we got to talk about this in the radio show because it's it can be very misleading. Can lower populations help you in terms of reducing disease incidence? A little bit, yes. You're going to get a little bit better airflow through there, and it's one of the steps we always talk about with sclerotinia white mold. Sclerotinia white mold is the worst disease you can get in soybeans. It can take 100% of your yield. It's done that on our farm. But just lowering the planting population, that isn't going to be good enough. You, there are normally 10 things we talk about with white mold and, and white mold prevention. Well, you're 10% you're, you're of the way if you've lowered the population a little bit, but you got 90% of the way to go. So, yes, it can be a tool. It can help, but... Do not think that that is a miracle cure. The other thing that I'll say is we talk a lot about corn populations that, you know what, you should bump your population a little bit in your high fertility areas and, you know what, cut back a little bit in those the bad areas in your field. Like for us in particular, we've got some light soils, no irrigation. There, you don't want to plant 35,000 plants per acre there. 20,000 would probably be a great plenty because we just you can't fix sand. Well, with soybeans, you literally want to take the exact opposite approach. Where you've got that bad soil, you want to bump your population. I'll be honest, I do not think 130 or 140 is enough. Because here's what's going to happen. In those lighter areas, your beans may never canopy. Well, if they never canopy, what does that tell you? That means your weed control is going to be bad, and now your yield is going to be even worse. Because in those bad areas, you can't lose moisture and nutrients to weeds. Whereas, think about where your biggest disease problems are. I don't care if we're talking white mold or any disease. Where is it in the soybeans? It's where the beans are best. It's where the fertility is high, the soil is rich. That's where you cut back a little bit. So on average across the field, would I want to shoot for 130 to 140? You bet. I'd probably cut it a little bit in the great area, uh, and then I would boost it for sure in the bad area. All right, Brian, PD uh, from Idaho had a question. He said, hey, guys, you were talking about bacteria in corn, and I know this can be a problem under pivot irrigation, especially seed production fields have a lot of trouble. Just curious, have you guys tried any uh, copper soap or hydrogen peroxide-type products? No, because we don't typically have that issue. I, I mean, there are people that will use a little bit of copper, and that can help a little bit. But don't be thinking that's some miracle cure either. Uh, as far as hydrogen peroxide, I, I'm not even familiar with that. We, we've tried hydrogen peroxide in different crops for disease control, never seen anything out of that. Uh, so I'm, I, I guess 
I, I, I'm not familiar with it for specifically going after bacteria in corn. We've never tried that. I will say, though, again, like I mentioned earlier in the show, Goss's wilt and bacterial leaf streak are bad diseases. I know down in Nebraska, and we often have people on from University of Nebraska-Lincoln talking about this, these diseases, these bacterial diseases, and uh, to this point, as far as I know, we haven't found any bactericide that has been like super effective where you just go, oh, you got to do this if you're even worried about these bacterial diseases and that'll take care of it. Uh, just we aren't seeing that. There's there's nothing I know of that's that's a for sure winner in corn. All right. Uh, I got this question in from Steve. and He said, hey, guys, we're over in southeast Iowa, and we're struggling on our soybeans to get good test weight. We rarely get to 58 pounds per bushel. Do you have any ideas? We've got average fertility on Brian's scale for our macronutrients and, and micros. Your yep. And uh, we're, we're increasing soil levels annually, and we've come back from basically what you guys call a blank slate five years ago to raising 55 bushel beans on average. Great. Well, good job, Steve. It's, it's a lot of work, and it, it takes some investment to build those levels up, but I hope you're seeing a nice return on that, too. Yep. The number one thing for test weight, I don't care what crop we're talking about, it's going to come back to fertility. But then beyond that, it's just all the standard things that we talk about. It's having great drainage. You want to have good levels of calcium in your soil, for example, so your soil is more porous. You want to have... Uh, the right balance of phosphorus and potassium, sulfur, all these different micronutrients out there. And with micros, too, we've been talking about this here over the last few years. Look at ratios, too. Phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper, stuff like that. It's it's about balance of nutrients in that soil. But, yeah, you've got to have a lot. And so I'll take this year as an example. When you've got potassium where you know you need a ridiculous amount for both corn and soybeans in our area of the country. And you're right in the middle of the summer, it's bone dry, and it's hot. How's that potassium getting into the plant? It's not. And so when less water is going to be taken up by the plant, that means your concentration of that nutrient has to be higher. That's in part why we see, you know, you can get by sometimes with maybe a little bit lower phosphorus and potassium levels as you go into the eastern United States where they get two, three times the rain we do. But you can't here in the west. In in the western corn belt, you've got to have good levels of P and K. So in those drier years, you can still get enough into the plant even though moisture is running short. So yeah, just look at those things. And beyond that, it's weed, insect, disease control. Anything you can possibly do to make that plant healthy all through the season, and then you should be able to increase your test weight. Thanks for the question, Steve, and, and uh, again, good job trying to build things up and improve things on your farm. Well, if you're looking for some new ideas for your farm, don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day. It's coming up next week, Thursday, July 27th, right here on our farm. You can find all the details and pre-register at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.